From the studio on the University of Georgia campus, this is Unscripted. I'm your host, Alan Fleury. On each episode of Unscripted, I'll be talking to scholars, artists, journalists, and leaders from all corners of the Franklin College of Arts and Sciences, as well as guest speakers and lecturers to the UGA campus. Mortality-morbidity paradox refers to the inconsistency in survival and disease between males and females. Women live longer, but tend to suffer greater age-related disease and disability. These higher rates of illness can be improved by a better diet, particularly one high in pigmented carotenoids found in bright-colored fruits and vegetables. Joining us on this episode of Unscripted is Billy Hammond a professor in the Franklin College of Arts and Sciences Behavioral and Brain Sciences program in the Department of Psychology. Hammond has published extensively on the nutritional issues of vision development and function and is co-author of a new research study that discusses the mortality-morbidity paradox, the higher rates of cognitive decline among women, and the importance of these carotenoids on women's vision and brain health. Dr. Hammond, welcome to Unscripted. Yeah, thank you for having me. So women tend to live longer than men, but typically have higher rates of illness. I can't say that I was aware of this, but in fact, it's widely documented. Yeah, so, so this has uh, been found for a very long time. I, I think that the, uh, the, the shocking thing, I think, that most people are not aware of is the fact that if you look at a lot of these degenerative conditions like dementia and autoimmune disease and cataracts and macular degeneration, that, that they are primarily women that about two-thirds of the patients that get those conditions tend to be women. And, it, and, it, and in a way, it sort of makes sense because you could say, well, there are degenerative diseases and people get degenerative diseases as they age. So if women live a lot longer, then it makes sense that they would have higher rates of illnesses that you get when you're very old. But actually, if you even equate for, for age differences, women get these diseases more commonly. Diet and lifestyle are important for everyone, but for women, they're especially crucial for preventing visual and cognitive loss. That's right. So, so the idea is that that, that that chromosomal difference, you know, that men have an XY and, and women have an XX, has a, a, a ton of implications for biology. So the fact that men don't have that little extra arm on their chromosome makes them susceptible to a number of sex-linked problems, like losing your hair, or mm-hmm. color vision problems, and they just don't have that extra gene allele, that, that redundancy. So mm-hmm. women do, and that gives them a, a, a real survival advantage under a lot of conditions. Mm-hmm. So just throughout life, women tend to survive uh, in, 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 in situations that are, are catastrophic, you know, exigent. But the, the, there is a, a cost to that survival advantage. And that is that they, uh, they need more, you know, for example, if, uh, if I get a, a, a very uh, serious infection and I have an immune response, women will tend to have a better immune response. However, in the long term, that also means that they have higher rates of chronic inflammation, mm. which leads to degenerative disease. So it's a, it's a very good strategy in the short term. But, a very, a, but, but not a wonderful strategy in the very long term. So, I mean, the, the point really is that just there's different risk profiles between 
you know, biologically male and biologically female. And so being aware of those differences allows you to sort of target interventions that are most beneficial for, for both groups. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're speaking about genetics there, but how do you connect carotenoids to the disparity? Yeah, so, so one thing that has been discovered about, about genetics, which was surprising, is that I remember when I was, uh, when I was a student that they thought that humans had about mm, 120,000 genes. Then it was 100,000. Then it was 80,000. Now it's like 20,000, <laughs> you know? And so people were like, well, how can the amazing complexity that is us be only due to a 20,000 genes. I mean, if you take a piece of white rice, it has 50,000 genes. <laughs> so it's like, how, what? You know? yeah. and, so, and, the, and the reason is that we, just, we have very simple hardware, mm-hmm. but really complex software. Mm. So that's this field of epigenetics. So we can turn on and off genes in various combinations, and that means you don't need as many mm. because they're, they're much more fluid. So... As the field of epigenetics has evolved, we've learned that various elements of lifestyle are, imp- are important in turning those genes on and off, which, is, which was a wild thing to discover. I mean, what I can do in my lifetime, like say I exercise a lot, you know, I can pass on that trait to grandchildren. You know, that, my, that behavioral tendency mm. goes through the generations as an epigenetic trait. You know, it, it, it came out in the Dutch famine years, you know, during the World War II. So people that were subject to the Dutch famine, their grandchildren have uh, gained weight more readily wow. than, than other groups because they, they, they sort of inherit that, they inherited a tendency to try to hold on to calories. It's learned behavior, but then you can pass it down. That's right. So diet is one of those big things that's epigenetics. So is exercise and and here, here, here's the other thing that's sort of new in biology, and that is that one, another reason why we can get away with so few genes is that so much of our biology is dic- dictated by microorganisms. So the, the, all the microbiome in our gut has a lot to do with, with doing things for us. So, for example, during, uh, during, during COVID, it was the COVID years, it was discovered that your vitamin D status was really important. And vitamin D is one of the few things that we actually synthesize now. So we make vitamin D by exposure to the sun. Right. We take cholesterol and turn it into vitamin D. But that's one of the very few things that we make. We get almost everything else from plants. We are the, we are the great users of our environment. You know, we don't have to have big fangs because we can just have like a gun. Right. You know, we don't have to have fur because we can wear clothes and build houses. And so we use our environment. Other animals are very dependent on their ecological niche, but we're not. Mm-hmm. We can go anywhere and eat anything. And, and so one, one, one thing that does is free up a lot of your metabolism for a big old brain yeah. that allows you to, to do that. But, uh, but, but, you know, it means that we, we need those things for our proper physiology. Right. So, so if, if, if we evolve for years to depend on a sort of wide array of plants, but now we don't have them, then there's sort of health consequences to that. So I remember a survey some years ago where they, they looked at, that, at the amount of uh, vegetables that Americans ate in their typical diet. 
And if you excluded sort of like French fries and potato chips, things like that, <laughs> about half of Americans almost ate no fruits and vegetables at all. You know, when they do say this business about eating uh, eight servings of fruits and vegetables a day, almost no one does that. You can, if you take the example of, uh, from this article, lutein and zeaxanthin are in uh, green leafy vegetables. But if you look at how much green leafy vegetables people eat in a, in a month, it's, you know, about a cup. <laughs> so it's vanishing. Just on average. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, and so, and even people who have really good diets, even that has become sort of remarkably constrained with factory farming and mm. So the diversity of foods that are even available is very small. Mm-hmm. So sort of at the perimetry of the grocery store, you'll find some, you know, some greens, say. But, you know, how many greens do people eat? Maybe they eat spinach and kale and maybe, a, you know, maybe a, a few others. But there are dozens of greens. Mm-hmm. You know, we just don't eat them anymore. There's dozens of types of apples and, and tomatoes and but now there's just very few varieties that are mass farmed. Right. So that, and over and over and over again. So they're, you know, sort of the nutrient quality of the soil, all that stuff is just different. Right. So we can eat anything, but we need some very specific things. That's right. So, because our biology is, is based around them. So if you take carotenoids as an example, you know, there's about 20 or so that are commonly in the body, but each type goes into a different tissue, tissue and does a different thing. So like lycopene goes into the prostate gland of men or, or beta carotene goes into the corpus luteum of women. And, the, and it does specific things there. So lutein and zeaxanthin goes into the uh, retina, the central retinal portion of the, of the eye, and into the brain itself and, and, and does stuff there. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you probably heard how uh, fish are very good for your brain, the DHA, dopiohexionic acid. The reason that's good for your brain is your brain's about 60% fat. And fat can come in various forms. It can be like butter, which is a solid, mm-hmm. or, or olive oil, which is very fluid. So if you have a brain that's made of very rigid fats like butter, that's a very different kind of brain <laughs> than a brain that's very made of very fluid fats like, that, uh, like those found in fish. Mm-hmm. And the way that that brain processes information and ages and its susceptibility to disease, all that is different. And, and the, the fat is an interesting topic because the oxidation of the fat is a really important component of the work. Yeah, exactly so. So, and so for example, if you, if you leave a, a piece of fish out over on, on the table out at night and, then, and the next morning it's spoiled because omega fatty acids are very oxidizable. And if you think about the brain, the brain uses a ton of oxygen. So you have this situation where there's all this oxygen and all this super oxidizable fat. And so how you deal with that is antioxidants. Mm -hmm. Antioxidants that are lipid-based prevent the oxidation of fat. So, and that's just a general aging phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Skin and all kinds of organs are, fat's a big major component of our biology. So protecting those fats. And and the the oxygen piece is interesting. I've always thought that if aliens came to earth, they'd be like, oh my gosh, they're they're breathing oxygen because <laughs> oxygen, yeah, it's very <laughs> toxic. I mean, it's very reactive gas that explodes and, mm. you know, <laughs> rust metals. And, <laughs> and, and in fact, early in the evolution of Earth, plants used oxygen just to kill other plants. And so they developed antioxidants 
to protect them from the other plants. And then we sort of piggybacked on that, on that biology by using them in our own biology. Unscripted is a production of the Franklin College of Arts and Sciences, the oldest, largest, and most academically diverse college at the University of Georgia. More than 650 faculty members provide instruction in every classical discipline and all branches of empirical inquiry. Critical thinking skills, from languages and literature to biological sciences, build the foundation for every profession as they empower students to be informed, engaged citizens. For more on the Franklin College, visit franklin.uga.edu. Welcome back to Unscripted in my conversation with brain and behavioral scientist, Billy Hammond. So the connection of the fat and the brain, sometimes that's a little bit, it, 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 could, it could lose us. Yeah. Analogizing the fat and the brain to the fat that we understand. How does it connect to the health of our brain and our eyes particularly, our vision health? Yeah, so if you take the uh, eyes as an example, so the retina, or is the, the neural tissue in the back of the eye. So when light comes into your eye, it, you know, there's little lenses in the front that focus it to a point along this neural tissue in the back, and that turns that light into a neural signal, and mm. you know, the brain interprets that as, as visual images. But the retina itself has to, first of all, it has to be extraordinarily metabolically active. It's the most metabolically active tissue in the body, so it has tons of oxygen that it uses. That's why it looks so red. Mm. You know, you take a picture and you get that big red flash. That's mm. all the blood in the back of your, in the back of your eye. Mm. Plus, it's subject to constant energy source. Like if I wanted to start a fire and I took a lens and just concentrated energy from the sun on a point, it would make a little hole there. Mm. And in fact, a lot of people get a little hole right in the back of their retina. That's what macular degeneration is. It's the leading cause of blindness in the in the United States. So the retina is very susceptible to injury. So the way it protects itself is are these pigmented carotenoids that sort of absorb out some of the more actinic portions of the light, the more damaging parts of the light, and then, and then help it process. And then there are antioxidants and anti-inflammatories that just protect the tissue. All of which we can support with a better diet. That's right. So it's all diet dependent. When they say you are what you eat, that is literally true. And if you don't believe it, just don't eat for a month. <laughs> you know, you start kind of going away. Yeah. Your, your biology is absolutely dependent on this. And the medical community sort of started this because they were like, okay, there's deficiency diseases like scurvy and pellagra and beriberi, these things. But if you don't have these vitamins, these vital, vital minerals, mm -hmm. you will get this deficiency disease. So the medical model defined the elements of diet that are specifically related to, to diseases that if you don't have them in the immediate sense. So if you don't have enough vitamin A, you won't make photopigment in your retina, you'll go night blind. But foods contain thousands of things. So there's, there's the big ones, you know, enough protein, you'll get Kwashiorkor's disease. But then there's all these other things, and they might not be linked specifically to a deficiency disease per se, but they're linked to the, all the other diseases now that we're getting. So people aren't getting scurvy now. Right, we're not right. Pirates. Yeah. <laughs> but we're we are getting uh, we're getting dementia and degeneration and and all these you know arthritis and 
skin aging and all these other things that everything else in diet does. A lot of times you'll see, uh, you know, diet labels and they, 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 they will supplement these specific things because they've bleached out all of the, of the nutrition and the rest of it. <laughs> so if you looked at, you know, white bread, for example, they, they have to put things back in because in the processing of the food, they take out all the, most of the nutrition. It's sort of like the, the challenge with infant formula now. You know, what's the difference between breastfeeding and, and infant formula? One difference is that breast milk is filled with microorganisms. So when a, when a baby is breastfeeding, the, the nipple is like a little computer yeah. that, that, that analyzes the saliva of the baby, then changes the composition of the milk to meet the needs of the baby. Wow. But, but formula, of course, you can't have microorganisms in the formula. No. So they have to either heat it or acidify it. And when they acidify it, then that just wipes out the microbiome of the baby. Wow. Causes acidic stools, all kinds of problems. Yeah. That's like cheaper uh, infant formulas. Mm-hmm. But the more expensive ones heat it. So that kills everything in it. But still, it's, 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 it's deficient in, in building a microbiome. So what they've been doing recently is putting prebiotics in infant formula, like uh, ligosaccharides, things that, micro- that bacteria eat. And, and if you think about it, breast milk has always had that. Breast milk is about, you know, 10%-ish of breast milk is food for bacteria, mm. not food for the baby. Right, right. It's, it's designed to nurture these, this, this microbiome of the baby. Well, let's stay with that a little bit and also get back to the biological differences. The, the fat in our bodies, the fat in women's bodies and men's bodies expresses itself differently and actually has different roles, but it inflicts uh, different causes and effects on the bodies. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, so, so one, one reason why men have issues, historically issues with a lot more, you know, sort of diseases that kill you, like cardiovascular disease, et cetera, is that men tend to pack fat around their viscera. So men have a big barrel chest, chest and, and, and skinny little legs and arms, you know, and, and putting fat around your viscera is not great. Mm. Whereas traditionally, women would carry weight more around their hips and their thighs and not around their vital organs. Right. So that was a, that's a difference right off the bat. Right. So, uh, and women would have fat in places that were, you know, designed for caregiving. You know, they would have some uh, fat in their lower stomach that would protect a developing fetus, for example. Yeah, and, and just to sort of survive famine. You know, for most of human history, the real risk wasn't obesity. It was dying during a famine. Mm, right. So storing fat made you live through the famine. Mm-hmm. And if you had the extra burden of caregiving, you know, biological caregiving especially, then you, you, then you would have even more reserves for that purpose. So babies are, especially in the fetal stage, are somewhat parasitic. They're drawing from the mother. Oh, yeah. And they will draw things that they... You know, if it isn't in the mother's diet, they'll draw it from the tissues of the mother. Wow. And so mothers have to have stores of things. Mm-hmm. But when you have stores, then it has to draw from other places. So, for example, if a certain amount of carotenoid is in my diet and it's going up into my retina and my brain, more will go into a male's retina and brain than a female's because theirs will be re- re- rerouted to some fat so that it's available 
for caregiving. Wow. So that's a that's just a a, a, a basic biological difference. You know, plus men also don't have quite the the same kind of fluctuations in endocrine activity that women do. Men men do have cyclical changes, but not on a monthly basis. Right. So so that also interacts with some of our biology to create some differences. And as time goes on, the fat in women's bodies lends itself to other causes and effects. Yeah, that's right. So 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 that's one reason why, you know, you can like like you know, in the old days, I remember when I was in college, we, I would go to the gym and I would see a lot of the men over in the big iron weightlifting side and women doing more cardiovascular exercise. And the, and the irony is that men were have more issues with cardiovascular problems <laughs> and really needed to be more over on the cardiovascular side. And women have often have issues with bone density and 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 things that actual muscles help. Mm-hmm. So uh, like like my fibromyalgia and just diseases that have to do with muscular pain, et cetera. So women would have really benefited from weightlifting. Mm-hmm. So it was a sort of weird divergence. So th- this seems less true now. I mean, there's a lot more balanced exercise. Weight training and such That's that right. women, yeah. Except for the, for the people that do it. You know, there's a very recent study that, that said that only about 7% of Americans are in good cardiac and metabolic shape. 7%. Wow, seven. Yeah, so the average amount of exercise that Americans get in a year is very small. You know, if for people who are overweight slash obese, it's about an hour a year, literally. Wow. And, and, and you know, for, I think for obese women, it's about an hour a year. For obese men, it's about two or three hours a year, a year. And, and, and remember, too, that, uh, you know, the number of people who are overweight obese has gotten much higher than it was in, say, the 80s. Mm-hmm. It's gone up almost every year. Our biology is not handling processed foods, et cetera, very well. Right, right. And it's not exactly a secret that we need to eat better and exercise. <laughs> That's right. Is it, yeah. So is it just because it's boring and, you know, sort of complicated and, and effort-filled? Well, this is, you know, so this is why there are psychology departments, you know, <laughs> and why I think there's this this uh, whole, you know, area called health psychology. Right. Because at the end of the day, it is all psychology. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I could go to people who are, who are smoking and I could say, look, you know, smoking's really bad for you. You should probably stop doing that. <laughs> And they just wouldn't, right? right? But And most people would be like, but why not? I mean, if you could just know what's better for you to do, why wouldn't you do it? But could I go to most young people today and say, look, social media is really bad for you. <laughs> you might just want to quit that altogether. You know, I mean, they won't. So you can list any number of things that you should do mm-hmm. and you don't. So it's like, hmm, why? What's, what's the psychology here? You know, why, why are people unable to do things that they know they should, that's that's better for them in the long term. But like you say, everything that we intake is creating who we are. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's 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 the the other part of it is, I don't think people quite appreciate how much this influences their their actual self. You know, it, it, way back in the history of science, the the, the concept of dualism started. 
that we are sort of this spirit that inhabits this you know physical body but but most neuroscientists believe that you know our self is sort of created by the process of, of neurons activating so our personality our mood all these things are, a, are a, an emergent process and the activity of neurons and so that's a physical phenomena so mm-hmm. what affects that physical phenomena is going to affect your mood and here, here's just an example about 90 percent of the serotonin that your brain uses is is created in your gut influenced by the bacteria there and the foods you eat, et cetera. And of course that mediates mood and depression and you know, a number of mental states. Mm-hmm. So absolutely who you are is affected by your, by your diet and exercise. And it's hard to just underestimate how, 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 how profound that is. You know, like I could, I could get up right now and run around this building and I'd come back and I'd be like, oh, oh, my heart would be pumping. And yeah. All that blood and oxygen goes right up to my brain mm-hmm. and affects its biochemistry and the expression of genes and to it who I am and my mood and, and, and personality. The, to the same extent that if you didn't do that for years upon years, that also affects those same things. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a very, you know, one thing I think that's weird to imagine, and it becomes very philosophical, and that is that, you know, we aren't just on the earth. We are of the earth. We are one with nature. As we sort of disconnect, as we make our, li- our world a parking lot, it is to our detriment. You know, we, the older I get, the less I sort of like people and, <laughs> and enjoy nature, you know, like trees and streams and things. And I and and it's it, it, it's it, it's very I, I find that uh, you know animals and and plants uh, you know these things are we are connected into them in a profound way mm-hmm. we evolved in the natural world and yet your profession is is trying to pull apart and understand and expand our understanding of how we think and who we are and how those things are connected yeah that's right yep. Yeah, and, and there, it's been psychology has had has been slow in in sort of uh, integrating with other disciplines. Mm-hmm. You know, even though we all like to think of ourselves as interdisciplinary, you know, there still is a pretty big segregation between various areas of science. Mm-hmm. So, psychology and nutrition exercise science and all these things are in very different departments. True, true. And there's, it's very rarely the case that people really integrate them across. This, this is starting now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I taught a class last semester called Nutritional Neuroscience mm. that was really all about integrating those two areas. Mm. There's journals now on nutritional neuroscience. It's a sort of new discipline. Right. Will it begin to affect how we're training physicians? You know, it, it has. So, so, so historically, tr- doctors have gotten MDs at sort of, uh, traditional allopathic medical schools. Mm-hmm. But now DOs, the osteopathic medical schools, are springing up in real rapidly. What does that mean? Osteopathic, osteopathic medicine was, is, was, was, is, is it's sort of a, it's, it's based on the idea that structure really matters. So that's why they emphasize exercise and health. And, but it comes out of the idea that 
there's something healthy about the skeleton and the muscular system and you know and so it's a do you get a do and it's a rather than an indeed but a lot of do's are working in hospitals now and they get much more training in in, in nutrition mm-hmm. and preventive medicine oh yes right 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 the yeah. structure meaning the entire structure yeah that's right You're, that that we are our physical being you know that health is a real you really have to 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 really uh, make people healthy, you have to prevent prevent illness, not just treat disease. So one thing that's happened in in Western medicine is historically Western medicine has all been about treating disease, but most of the diseases that we get these days are very hard to treat because they're degenerative. If you wait till someone gets dementia, there's just not a lot you can do. That's why they try these really extreme medications, but they don't really do much. Right. So. Uh, you know, if you wait till someone's got a degenerated retina, you just can't bring it back. Once the cells are gone, they're just gone. Right. So the the approach to m- most of the big acquired illnesses that we get is preventive, which which again brings it sort of back to the psychology of prevention. How do you get people to change their behavior to reduce the probability that they'll get these diseases? Hmm. So, you know, and 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 it turns out that the, most of these things are dramatically preventable. Most acquired cancers, most cardiovascular disease, you can you can prevent them if you do if you behave in the correct way. Is dementia included that one in preparation for this? I found a, a Guardian article and it said one in three people born this year, and the article was from 2015, will develop dementia. It was from the Alzheimer's Research UK charity, and it warned of a looming national health crisis. So you're suggesting that that's not inevitable. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's exactly what I'm suggesting, is that it is absolutely is not inevitable. But it takes us preparing for your 60s and 70s when you're in your 30s. Yeah, that's right. I mean, health has to become a, a lifelong endeavor. You have to... But, you know, what, 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 what's interesting is, like, I, I remember talking to, to one of my relatives once, and he was like, he was like, well, if I have to eat just like a rabbit all the time, I'd rather just die, you know? <laughs> and, and the irony is that I love food. I mean, this has become one of my very small numbers of pleasures is good food. But the brain is fantastically plastic when it comes to these things. So, for example, I really enjoy eating green leafy vegetables. I, I enjoy that taste. Mm-hmm. And, and it's... it's uh, because your brain changes. It's sort of like how, you know, to use a really gross example, how little kids eat boogers. <laughs> you know, it's like you see a little kid do that, and you're like, ah, oh, how could they do that? Oh, my God. But, uh, but you know, their brain changes. Yeah. At some point, there was a very famous study by Paul Rosen where he took little kids, and he, uh, he, gave, he gave them a glass of orange juice. And little kids love sugar, so they'll always drink this orange juice. Yeah. Then he put a, a roach in it. And little kids will still drink it, you know. <laughs> yeah. And at some point they'll be like, I don't want to drink that. There's a roach in it. Then they take the roach out and then they drink because <laughs> they didn't really get contamination. Right? No. But then at some point they all go, oh, I don't want to drink that. There was a roach in it. Yeah, it's they bad. start getting contamination. So it's a real developmental process. Mm. So, But if you expose your kids to lots of different foods, then they develop, you know, differently than if you expose them to other foods. You know, it's like, I was raised in China, I would speak Chinese, no right. problem. I mean, 
brain is very plastic this way, mm-hmm. but it doesn't stop being plastic. You know, if I if I drank a Coke, I would be like, oh, so sweet. Mm-hmm. But I would never have thought that in my teens. Right. You know, yeah. you, you change with time. Mm-hmm. So people do this thing where they'll drink Diet Coke and then they'll, you know, slowly change Weaning their themselves. behavior. Yeah. Or like when I, I remember when I first tried wine, I was like, oh, why? Now I could, now I'm like, you know, I'll pay $30 for buying. Yeah, you have a preference for which ones, which wines you like. Exactly, or coffee, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. bitter chocolates, or, you know, your brain changes according to what you do. Yeah, and you brought up the family because that's where, or and, that's where a lot of these discussions happen. Mm-hmm. And that's where these learned behaviors originate and get reinforced. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So starting starting young, and then, and you know, and then you start, I mean, for yourself personally, what you do is you just start integrating healthy behaviors and then they just become automatic and, and, and that's how you change what you do. And you start valuing things like, like I really value my time for exercising. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like my gift to myself. So I just, I just do it because of, and I sort of resent if I can't, right. you know, yeah. like, oh, my yeah. time for myself. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I do, I, and th- these are the kind, those kind of things matter. So with respect to the article that I'm here for today, you know, one of the ideas is, you know, what you learn over time is there are some things that individuals and groups can do that are better and, and, are, and are more necessary. So, so women, for example, generally really benefit from, uh, from carotenoid supplementation. So lutein and zeaxanthin are particularly good for women. So eating, you know, green leafies because they have a, you know, they have a really enhanced propensity to develop macular degeneration, for example. 70% are women. And so protecting their macula is really important. Mm-hmm. And if you get very high levels of these pigments, it's really protective. Yeah. I mean, it benef- benefits us all, men and women, but women benefit greatly, more greatly from it. Yeah, because they're more at risk. It's fascinating work. And it's an interesting discussion. I appreciate you spending some time. Oh, yeah, sure. Love it. Really fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet.